God. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way, to him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this, this hour, this time that we have together, but we do want to stop. It would just be abhorrent if we did not stop and pray for the folks that were in that accident just a little while ago. And we pray for their recovery and uh, those who are looking over them uh, and uh, the circle of family and friends. And I can only imagine just looking, seeing um, the wreckage of at least two vehicles and then all the chaos that that brings to your life, even apart from physical injury. We pray that you would minister to them and that perhaps these folks would see you and your goodness and your supply for them even in the midst of was not what they were looking for this Sunday morning. We're here this Sunday morning and we are asking that you would be merciful to us to help us see and understand this text, especially as it pertains to, well, one, uh, this nomination season that we're moving into as a local church, but then even beneath that and wrapped around that, how that has implications for all of us as individuals and the hope that we can see in your supply of all things, of all needs. We pray in your name. Amen. So spring, spring brings with it not just uh, a young man's flight of fancy and baseball and pollen, uh, spring is also yet another season of gift giving, right? Graduation gifts and baby showers and bridal showers and Mother's Day, gentlemen, mark it, uh, Father's Day, ladies, whatever you want, uh, come June, um, and then of course, you know, sundry birthdays and all that. And, and so what do you do? What do you do? You, know, you really need to, well, whether you want to go classic or whether you want to go creative, it's just wise, it's just wise, you know, just come up with some admixture of, you know, whether it's books or uh, music or flowers or whatever the case may be, 
get tuned in to what the, that individual wants and needs. Be tuned in to what that individual both wants and needs. And by the way, I would say put extra weight on the need. Paul is making very clear in this text, Christ gives gifts to his people, to the church. Abundantly clear. We see that right here in front of us. And what does he have in mind? Big picture, he says, well, I'll just say two things. Unity and diversity. Big picture, the unity. The unity of the church, of his, of his people. And it's quite apparent here that, that, that he makes it explicit that that unity, our unity, uh, the thing that we're to, to maintain that's already real, we don't create it, we just maintain it, that unity within the body is actually a reflection, if you can get your mind around this, a reflection of the unity within the Godhead, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That unity, but that unity, wondrous as it is, is meant to be enriched by diversity. And you see that with these, these gifts, gifts that he gives to us as his people, gifts that are apportioned just in the way he has in mind, distributed in a certain measure according to his wisdom and his purposes, apportioned and distributed by our exalted king, Jesus. Paul's quotes here from Psalm 68. It's quite fascinating when you think about the context and what Psalm 68 is about. It's about a conquering king coming back from, from a victory on the battlefield, coming into the capital city, distributing the, the, the war booty to his people freely and gladly. It's, a, it's an occasion of, of celebration. And Paul, in quoting from Psalm 68, is saying, that psalm is ultimately pointing to and fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus, the risen, ruling Christ, bursting forth from that empty tomb that first Easter morning and ascended to the right hand of God, his Father in heaven, ruling now. Ruling now, even this moment. That's the king, and that's the picture of what he, he, and so he distributes these gifts, apportions these gifts, gladly showers his people, his church, with these things, not according to our grand designs, not according even to our, our deserving. Thank goodness. But rather according to his wisdom and to his mercy and his grace. Christ has given gifts to his people, his church. We should then gladly receive those gifts, whatever they may be, and rejoice in the goodness of God that we see behind the giving of those gifts. He's given gifts to his people. Ours is then to respond gladly and to rejoice in the goodness that we can see in the God who is giving us these gifts. Now, we see that in this text. It's just bursting forward, in particular verses 11 and 12, when you consider just these two things. It's in your outline, just these two things. First, just what are these gifts? What is it that he's given? That's worth drilling down into if we're to actually rejoice and receive them with, with gladness. But then not only that, not only what it is that he has given, but why? The purpose that he has in mind. And let me come back to the bookmark I put at the very beginning. This has relevancy for us tomorrow morning. On a dreary Monday morning, everything about his raising up, he's distributing these gifts, has relevancy for us tomorrow morning. Hang in with me. Stay with me. I promise you we'll get to that. First, 
What is it that he's given? What are these gifts that Christ has given to his people? It's the first point. Verse 11, let's look at it again. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. All right. You may know, some of you may know, that in other parts of, of uh, the New Testament, some of Paul's other letters, uh, he speaks of Christ giving gifts to his church and those gifts actually being talents and abilities. Not here. It's not talents and abilities, it's people. In Ephesians 4, it's particular individuals are actually regarded as these gifts that he has given to his church. Now, some of these were temporary, passing from the scene. They no longer walk the earth physically. And there are two classes, and you see them right here. First, the apostles, and then the prophets, the apostles. Men who are chosen and authorized by Jesus specifically and witnesses of his resurrection. And we have their testimony, their words passed down and preserved for us in the New Testament. All right? Apostles. Then prophets. What Paul has in mind here are men who were contemporaries of the apostles who were just as inspired by the Holy Spirit in that time but did not speak in, a, in an ongoing sort of way. They were speaking to particular circumstances, particular events with authority. But again... Now that the, since the New Testament has been long completed, first century, those men, apostles and prophets, have passed from the scene. But yet there is two other classes Paul listed here, two other groups that are permanent and endure through the ages, through the years. Still now today, we, we look and we see evangelists. He lists those. Uh, itinerant preachers, missionaries who are going forth to reach the unreached, wherever that may be, down the street or across the world. Or across the, you know, the table, perhaps. Also, another class, another group, shepherd teacher. Likely, the way Paul phrases this, it's actually not two groups, but but one here described. Shepherd hyphen teacher is likely the way the, to understand that. That is to say, pastoral guides, instructors, uh, and models and mentors in the faith. The point of all this being, again, Christ has given gifts in the form of these people to his church, not just talents, not just gifts, that's big, and the abilities, but honing in on this text, it's individuals that he has given to his people. Now, here's the question that ought to be wrestled with at this point. How are such individuals received? How are these gifts regarded? Think with me, uh, September 11th, 2001, Manhattan, Ground Zero. Those beautiful stately towers of glass and steel and concrete reduced to smoldering piles of rubble. And the people on the ground, who, who were the first responders who went in there? You know the answer to this. The firefighters, the policemen, the EMTs. Those who were there, who were hurt, who were injured, who were scared. What was the reception that those, those others who came in, what was the reception that they experienced? Cheers, salutes, prayers for their safety. Why? Because these were grateful individuals who recognized the desperate need that they were in. These were grateful individuals who recognized the desperate need that they had. There's something of that here in how we should regard the men that the Lord in his providence and his goodness raises up 
in the context of a local church to serve as his delegated representatives, elders and deacons. Now, I know you're probably thinking, wait, elders and deacons aren't even in the text. Good, I'm glad you paid attention to that. Very good, very good. But they're actually, in theory, in principle, they're represented here. When you consider the larger context of what Paul says in the rest of his letters, the clear priority that he places on the appointing of elders and deacons in every single church that he planted, and the, we'll get into this next week, the high qualifications that he puts out there, or puts up there, the, the bar that he raises that these men would serve in that way, this is a big deal. Elders and deacons are implied, included in Ephesians 4, as gifts that God still gives to his church. And again, though, I think we should ask the question, how are they regarded? How are they received? Lightly, if we're honest. And I don't just mean in this church, and I don't just mean in the PCA. I mean just across the board. In 21st century North America, how are they received? How are they regarded? Lightly. Why? Because a couple of reasons. One, we live in an age of postmodernism in which no one can say anything that's right with authority because no one is right. You can't make a claim like that because there's no claims to be made. So it goes. So it goes. That's the age of postmodernism. But it's not just that. There's not just a head issue. That, well, that is a heart issue. But there's also a, an a obvious heart issue. And not just the age of postmodernism, but what I'll call the woundedness of projection. If you've been on the receiving end of harsh treatment of people in such positions, and it's a guilt by association wherever you go next, and it destroys trust. You see, you see what I'm talking about? It's not just this head thing of postmodernism. It's the hurt thing of projection. I want to say this very carefully to, to, to both, and all of that and more. Such men, all of us, elders and deacons alike, none of us are perfect by a long shot. Ask our wives. None of us are perfect by a long shot. But there's tension here. And, you know, tension is always held by two points. So that's the first thing, the imperfection of all but yet held in tension, not imperf just imperfection, but who places them? Who has placed them in those positions? And we have to reckon with both sides of the, of the tension and hold it in tension and, and, and live in accordance with that. Let me push on to the next thing, the other hesitation, the other problem, the struggle that we have in how we receive these gifts, elders and deacons, today. And here I'm not just talking about everybody else. Now I'm talking about the elders and deacons themselves, how they struggle with being appointed to that office. I know. I'm in it. Uh, not for a minute. Well, again, too lightly. That doesn't answer the question. Too lightly. Um, but not by a long shot do I mean that any man in this church or any other should be walking around with kind of this pompous air, this idea of, of somehow I'm God's gift to the church. Yes, but that's to be held and walked and lived in with humility. 
wonder and gobstopped amazement and fear. And yet, attention, certainty. Because who put you there? You see? The humility and the certainty at the, at the same time. There has to be, yet still, a boldness and a courage of purpose. There has to be clarity and conviction of message. Christ, the living Christ, has given us these gifts in this way. We, need to we, we have ample cause, ample cause to rejoice that he cares for us in such a detailed way, in such a detailed fashion. All right, well, that puts us on to the second point. Not just what are these gifts, halfway there, what are these gifts in the form of these people, elders and deacons, but why? Why has he given them to us? What's the point? What's the plan? What's the purpose? What does he have in mind? Well, back to verse 11, but reading on through verse 12 this time. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And actually, if you just keep reading, Paul just unfolds that in soaring, beautiful language. But I'm just going to stop at verse 12. What's going on here? He's speaking of spiritual bodybuilding. That's what he's talking about. Spiritual bodybuilding. The immediate purpose that he, he speaks to of here is the equipping of the saints. That's what he has in mind. In the, in the giving of these gifts, that the saints might be equipped. That's what he speaks so clearly here. That is that, that we get from where we are to where we're supposed to be. We get from here to there. That takes time, and it, apparently it takes the equipping, the giving of these gifts that we then would be equipped to what? That we might serve. That, that, that everyone would be involved in the work of the ministry. That we would, as like an army, be mobilized, harnessed together. The people harnessed together. Not the elite and the professionals left up there just to do it and everyone just watches. But it's everyone together, as oftentimes referred to as every member ministry. Uh, this is where, and I'm not... I'm not this in the King James Version, but I will just say, for all the great influence in many ways that that translation had on Western civilization, this is one place where it had a disastrous effect on Western civilization because of a comma that is inserted in verse 12. It's not in the ESV, it's not in the NIV, but if you've got a Bible sitting there in front of you, I want you to see this and imagine this comma and then think with me as to what this damnable comma does to the way we think about the life of a local church. Okay? Yeah, I know. I said damnable comma. Get over it. Verse 12. The comma is inserted like this. To equip the saints, comma, as though it's three things. To equip the saints, comma, for the work of ministry, comma, for building up the body of Christ. As though that's what these men are supposed to do. They're the professionals. They're the elite. That's not it at all. That's not it at all. It's rather everyone is to be equipped. Everyone is to be prepared. Everyone is to be engaged. This is not to be like so many of our sporting events, you know, whether it's across the street or down at Austin P or in a little league field or at, 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 at down in Nashville, right, where you've got just a few 
active down on the field or in a court and they're exhausted, they're spent, they're, they're, they're in desperate need of a rest, and then you've got dozens, hundreds, maybe thousands of people passive sitting on their posteriors doing nothing, passive in desperate need of exercise. The church is not a sporting event. That's not the way it is, but that's the way we act. All of us. And it's not just a grammar problem. It's a tragedy. It's a life in the church issue. It's a cultural issue. And we need the Lord's mercy here to move through that. Okay, so that's the, the immediate purpose in the giving of these gifts, these individuals, the elders and the deacons, to equip the saints that they might serve. But Paul says there's even a grander purpose, an ultimate serve purpose path beyond that, and that is the growth of the body. The growth of, of the body is what he, the ultimate purpose behind all, all that. In, in, in two senses, extensive growth. So as every part is doing its part, laboring and running in their lanes and their giftedness and everything else, we see, just be frank, increase in size. That's part of it. Growth in numbers, that's part of it. But even more, not just extensive growth, but intensive growth. Not just growth in terms of mass, but growth in maturity. Not just terms, in terms of growth in size, but growth in strength, inward strength. That's what Jesus, the risen, ruling Christ, whose resurrection we just celebrated a few weeks ago, Easter Sunday, that's what he has in mind for us as his people. That's the design, that's the picture. And it just points to the fact that, you know, in so many ways, his ways are not like ours. His ways are not like ours. And if you think about in some ways, where some, how, what some of our ways are like, we should get on our knees and say, thank you, Jesus, that your ways are not like ours. I, a Wall Street Journal article I read years ago. This is true. I'm not making this up. I wish I was. Documented a, a church out west in the worship service. This is the idea. They're trying to attract people, grow. It's just all about extensive. There's no intensive here. They're trying to attract people. So they had a wrestling match in the middle of the worship service between church employees cool there was another there was another church this is what they did at the end of the service the pastor i think it was with the benediction ascended up into the loft in the beams thank goodness we couldn't even think about doing that here by invisible wires accompanied by the orchestra and the choir set to a light show and pyrotechnics awesome no tragic I mean, literally, thank God his ways are not our ways. His ways of growing his church is giving his gifts to his church. And what are the gifts? Part of it is what Ephesians 4, the giving of these men to serve in this way, to equip the saints, to do the work of the ministry for the sake of the growth of the body. That's his way. It's not sexy. It's not dramatic. Sometimes it's slow. But that's the way it is, and that's according to his design. His ways are not like ours. Why is this so vital for us here? Why is this so vital for us to spend time on something like this here this morning? Because we're getting pressure, I'll say, outwardly and inwardly, externally and, and internally, 
to go completely off the rails here. One pressure is from the side of those who are appointed to serve in this capacity when such men take on an idea, and I alluded to this already, uh, as though it's, it's what I'll call the pride of the professional. I have the title. I have been thrust in this, this, uh, this, this place. Um, I've been anointed, set aside, maybe even paid to be good. You people are good for nothing. You know, that, that, that's that sort of thing, that, 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 that ridiculousness that, that has no real heart's understanding that truly without the dynamic of every member ministry being mobilized, that's a lot of M's going there, this growth is not going to happen according to Jesus' design. Okay, that's one pressure, but here's the other pressure. It's not just from the people that, that are serving in this capacity, but it's the people over here who are, can I just put it this way, watching them serve in that capacity? And they say, well, that's their job. They, they, they got the title. They got the position. They got the experience. So you see, it's not just, I just I'm, I'm not trying to be unkind. It's just real. It's not just the pride of the professional but sometimes it's the laziness of the people. And we're all in that. And Paul is moving right into that for our sakes. For our sakes. Thank God, again, I, just, I cannot say this enough, his ways are not ours. If this was up to me, Here's how I would do it. I would never appoint a man like me or any other man in this church to serve as an elder or a deacon. Never. You know what I'd do? I'd get some angels. I'd get a squad. And they'd be mobilized from the start with the, the moment the church was planted, and they'd be staying on scene throughout so that we don't screw it up. That's the way I'd do it. And again, I would say, thank God that's not the way he does it. Now, why, okay, if that, why then does he do it this way? As a living demonstration of the gospel, strength, his strength, shining forth, oh, so shining forth in our weakness. This immeasurable treasure Stored, kept in earthen clay pots, cracks and all. That's why he does it the way he does it, as a living demonstration of the gospel. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now, friends, again, Jesus in his love for us has given us these gifts with ample cause to rejoice in gladness and rejoice in his goodness to us that is shown forth in these gifts. Now, let me come back now, back to the bookmark. I've touched on it, teased you, said, okay, so this is meant to be the first of two messages on this idea of not the season of nominating men to serve in these capacities as elders and deacons. At the same time, there is relevancy for all of us in one way or another here, how 
Let me just be explicit. I'm not going to tease you anymore. Because the goodness of God is shown forth in the gifts of God. The goodness of God is shown forth in the gifts of God. It's a comprehensive package deal. It's an all-included thing. Some of you know, just a few years ago, I was able to go on a trip to Israel. And part of it, it was a package deal. It was airfare and the breakfast and the dinners and all the transportation and uh, the itineraries all set and the, the tour guides and everything was taken care of before we even left our homes. They, they managed to wisely set aside time one uh, afternoon for us to have a half day in Jerusalem just to go in the old city where we wanted to within reason. And then on top of that, we, we even had one morning after a really exhausting time at a few different sites that just sort of drained us to just sit at, a, at what's called the garden tomb and celebrate the Lord's Supper. I mean, the idea being that all you had, again, an all-inclusive plan. All you had to do each morning was just show up at the right time, at the right place, and off you go. Everything was taken care of. There was nothing left to chance, nothing left out. My friends, that's exactly the way God deals with us. It's a comprehensive plan. It's not like some tour packages where grades A, B, C, D, or, you know, 10 copper, silver, gold, platinum. It's all platinum or gold, whichever one would be more relevant. It's the comprehensive plan. And the good, again, the goodness of God is shown forth here in the gifts of God. Jesus is the Lord of the church. No, he is not physically present, but he is spiritually present, ruling through his delegated officers, elders and deacons, even now, he, again, he's thought of everything. He's left nothing out. He's given us every reason to trust him. Now, we have every reason to need reminders of that. And we've needed it from the garden on, the moment our first parents betrayed his trust and assumed, no, he couldn't be trusted and took, literally took things into their own hands. We've been cynics and skeptics ever since. We are in desperate need of reminders of this comprehensive package covenantal deal where he leaves nothing to chance and loves us well. We are freed then to follow him. Taking that to heart, we are freed then to follow him wherever he leads. Let's pray.